It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Joe, I'm going to start with this. Um, we both have pets. We love them too much. I had Jack and Diane, a cat, when I was divorced. Two cats. From the um, John Mellencamp And days. then I would go out with uh, 25-year-olds, and they'd be like, well, well, why do you have cat. Jack and Diane? And Your I'd have to explain so that. <laughs> oh, it was embarrassing. Um, and I didn't go out with 25-year-olds. She was 26. But you're an Indiana guy, but John yeah, Mellencamp. Yeah, so that makes your sense, backyard. right? It was perfect. And then uh, uh, we, we have a... a Wonderful cockapoo of, of eight and a half years, Loa, that we love dearly, Lindley and I do, my I wife. because you post pictures of you in the car with Lola, walking the dog, having lunch. And, and this is leading Lola's to that because on your right arm. some of those pictures, she's literally got her tongue, you know, down my throat, okay? Now we go. So, so, this, so this is what I want to know. Do you allow your dog? Yeah, sure. I have two. Okay. To, um, and you spent... Thousands of dollars on Toby. We have. I would. R.I.P. Cut Great. my right arm off from my pets. You did. I mean, you and you talk. You've had three college educations that be paid for. <laughs> Joey and Justin and Toby, yes. basically. Yes, thank um, you. Do you allow your like when you kiss your dog or whatever? Do you care that this dog may like you know where that mouth has been and it's not good? Okay. Um, Lindley and I, and I'm just full disclosure. Lindley and I have no problem having. Lola, you know, put her tongue up our nose or we kiss her a lot and we do all that. And we know it's not, I mean, there's hygiene involved and, and it's not good, but we don't, it's like your own child, right? Do you, do you do that? Do you allow that to happen with your, I don't know. Or am I just, I don't know whether freak to, show. to leave you hanging out there as a big weirdo yeah. or, or <laughs> no. chime into this that, yep, I do the same thing. So this is where our friendship could change this, directions. This is going to divide. This is our fork in the road, you, I think. This your, is where your look is please could be the last episode. This. Please we, agree we with me <laughs> that you love your pets dearly like <laughs> I do. And the answer is I do. Uh, I'll let if my dog, will I, the kisses, We I can say the word kisses. Uh, I have two big dogs. One's 70 pounds, one's probably 80 and I just you have uh, saddles for them. Oh, or do I just... dearly love them. One Bentley snugs with me, the biggest one. He gets between Kim and I, and he just stares at me. Uh, that dog would eat six people for me, and yeah, he, he can kiss you. me all night long. I don't care. I, I love popsicles after dinner. I don't. That's my little trait. And so the dogs always are coming up to me. No, lick, you don't. lick, lick, lick. And no, Kim's you like, don't. You're disgusting. You and trade me. licks. They, they just, you know, this way it is. I don't care what they do. I have two cats, too. And they'll just... Uh, Kim what goes, do they do to you? Kim goes, stop. How do they violate you? Stop making out with the cat. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> and then you go to kiss your wife goodnight. Uh, and she's like, get that mouth, get I that just, orifice away I from love me. them. And then they sit there and, you know, lick themselves for six hours. Right. And you're like, oh, she's like, look what you're doing. It's just weird how we... I don't know why we just... Think that that's okay. We'll have but. to ask our guest that because oh, he comes sure. from he comes from farming roots, so we'll see yeah. how far this uh, could get on. Hey, and I know that he's like halfway out the door right <laughs> now, so let's start. Two let's weirdos. go. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. Where's it stop, Joe? We're spinning the big wheel into the letter R, and uh, as uh, the second cup of Joe and John. We are a Nashville-centric podcast, and when you say the name Jason Ringenberg, 
It's Nashville history. Nashville royalty. Nashville royalty. Uh, From Jason and the Scorchers to his solo career, a very beloved man uh, who is uh, practice is what he preaches. He's a tremendous performer, a great songwriter, and has been the leader in Nashville music, which in my band, Government Cheese, we came in on the coattails of, of what Jason trailblazed uh, in the clubs that opened up a whole business for bands out of Nashville, the Mid-South, and all over the world in what has now become Americana. We'll get into this later, but uh, the music genres that are out there now did not exist in our day. We were just bare-knuckle fist-fighting trying to exist and uh, carve a new path, and uh, Jason was a, a part of that. And um, I've How about if we welcome him? Yeah, well, that's a hell of an opening. It's just, yeah, it's by the way, <laughs> testing one, two, check, check, one, two. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm blushing. <laughs> but thank you, thank you. Sure, Jason Ringenberg uh, mm-hmm. on the second cup, and Jason, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, we just came off a show of Government Cheese and yourself playing uh, at the Exit Inn. We closed that place down, a, a club that was here in Nashville since the '70s. Uh, your new album, Rhinestone. Came out last year as well, and uh, you look tremendous. You haven't aged a day, and so uh, we'll go back. We'll go back, maybe to your roots. You're you're a farmer at heart. You come from Illinois turf, Illinois turf. Did I say Illinois? Illinois turf. Um, talk about your upbringing and what 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 put you into what would be called the country mode, the Americana, and what how you transition transition that into rock and roll. Yeah, what do you do with your pet? Really, let's just get that out of the way right now. Are we a couple weirdos here? Well, my wife's a cat person. And so I'm like, wow, that cat's like sitting on the stove and we're going to be cooking our food there. You know, really? I know one way to get the cat off the stove. Turn that sucker on. That, that is Something's one thing burning. You can do. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I did come from a farm, so I know all about this stuff. Um, and, Dad, you know, we were, we were hog farmers, third generation. Uh, and our farm bordered the Rock Island Line Railroad. It really did. That's not a press story. Um, and I got into music like all people did. Um, I had older brothers and sisters who were sort of hippies, and, you know, they turned me on to Bob Dylan and Neil Young and people like that. And it just went on from there. I just fell in love with music in high school and never, never looked back. Did you play an instrument or pick something up right away or? Yeah, I was, uh, picked up guitar first and then I just imitated Bob Dylan at first in the beginning. I was almost, almost a Bob Dylan imitator, you know, uh, I had the harmonica holder thing and, you know, played these folk songs and stuff. Woody Guthrie songs and Dylan songs. And that's what it was. But then I got into bluegrass. I played little mandolin and banjo. The first band I was in was a bluegrass band called Gary, Jason, and Chico. And Chico was actually the head of the band. He was the he was, but You put him last, but he, he, was, dri- he was the driving force. He was a driving force. And, I mean, I wasn't, let's face it, I wasn't a great banjo player. And I sort of felt all along I was sort of suspicious of Chico's motives for having me in the band because he was really a good musician, great player, and Gary was too. And but I had a car and I had a sound system, and Chico didn't have a car or a sound system. 
So, you know, we were just using my car to get to gigs and the sound system for stuff. And then after so you couple, were you were Uber before there was Uber. Well, what I was 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 basically the, the chauffeur for the band. Right. And once Chico got a car and a little sound system after a few good gigs that we had, he, you know, just a immediately fired me. I mean, it's just oh, like, no. right? you won't be playing this weekend, Jason. <laughs> yeah, you're, you know, your banjo playing, you know, the club owners are saying you're not very good and you're holding the band back. <laughs> so, so, yeah, my first band I was in, I got fired, like humiliatingly fired. Yeah. Ah. Where's Chico now? Do you have an idea? Chico is uh, busking in the streets of Chicago, from what I understand. Of course he is. Yes. <laughs> and look look at me now, right? <laughs> right, Jason? You're going, yeah, you had a pretty good run. Yeah, that's poor uh, Chico. That is, that's poor, poor Chico. Yeah. But you had a vision, and you said you wanted to get out of, not that it was like, I got to get out of here, but um, what brought you to Nashville? It was an instinct thing. I was went to college in Carbondale, and you probably played there with government SIU. cheese a lot sure. of times. What well, you probably played Hang- Hangar Nine, I'll bet you played Hangar Nine. Oh my gosh, Gatsby's you probably played Hangar Nine was our is that Hangar Southern Nine? Illinois? What, yeah. what, what Southern Illinois? Okay, yeah. Carbondale, yeah. And we'd had tonight government cheese, and every time we and would puppet lo- show, hmm? and puppet show, it would always be. Damn it, we should be above puppet show, but there'd be a line of twenty people out front thinking there was free government cheese. Given away oh. at the club, and we're loading our stuff I can see in. See the mix up? That really happened. That really happened. That, ha- that happened all over the country. How disappointed yeah. were they that tonight? Government cheese and it's homeless people lined up to get government cheese. That's fantastic. And back in the eighties, you know, it would have been a great video because we were out before MTV. It would have been a great video of tonight government cheese. There's a huge line. Not one person knows who the band is. Oh you're going to stay. You're going to stay malnourished, but we're going to rock your ass yes, off. Yes, we are. I never really thought about that. Yeah, that's, that's a hook to get. In Southern Illinois, there was also a band called No Cover. And oh. said, tonight, No Cover. Whatever it took, you know. Uh, whatever what, it took. What'd you go to SIU for? Uh, well, my mom and dad believed in a college education. So I said, sure. And Carbondale was a real, as you probably noticed, play in there. It was a real musical place. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of. A lot of old blues players and rock and rollers and all sort of expatriate hippies that didn't graduate from college but just stayed down there. And so they had a real good music scene. So that's that's why I went there. It was great. It and was they had a great that. Place. What's that? Describe that week of Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a huge, enormous fest of craziness, bands, parties, and such like that. Yeah, I don't know it was, anything. I mean, about- Halloween in Carbondale was it was like Mardi Gras. Yes, it, it was, was huge. It, it was- got so big they had to shut it down. Yeah, they had to just quit doing it because it was like people were starting fires in the streets. Yes, that, that band nothing. named Jason was really popular. <laughs> that was. <laughs> I, I stayed away from the <laughs> Halloween thing for sure. Now, did you have a band in those days? Did oh you, yeah, is that yeah, where I started? had bands, uh, quite a few. I had a rock a rockabilly band called the Catalinas, and then sort of a new wave cover band called uh, Shakespeare's Riot. Okay. And that's where I cut my teeth. I did some recording with those guys, played a lot around the Midwest and sort of learned about the music business. But the other guys were college students and they were, they actually really were students. One of them was a, ended up being a chiropractor. Another one became a lawyer. And so they, they were serious about it. I wasn't, of course, I wanted to play. Hey, we got another gig. Let's, let's get a good now in Omaha, you know, let's right. go guys. Right. And they were, yeah. So I knew I had to make a move and I just, Nashville seemed Intellectually, it wasn't the right decision because Nashville, as you guys know, in the early 80s was a really dry, dead place unless you were doing country pop. So it didn't make any sense. But I just had that feeling, you know, just go to Nashville and 
uh, I have to say, when I first got here, I was, I thought I'd made a huge mistake. I, it was, the town was so quiet and there was almost no one doing original music. And I was just shocked unless you're playing, you know, country pop thing, the, the Lee Greenwood sort of Barbara Mandrill trip, man, you weren't going to get any attention. So I thought it was a big mistake, but it, you know, things started cooking pretty quickly and I, I, it was obviously the right thing for me to do. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. So Jason, life lessons, uh, what we're talking about here, maybe it was uh, your, your transition from Carbondale to Nashville. Maybe it was uh, forming the Scorchers. Uh, what's a thing in your in your past that was a lesson to you uh, that triggered that this is what I want to do? Music is what I want to do. Okay. And I'm going to make that chance and I'm going to make that jump. Maybe it was the Nashville trip or, you know, what was it in your life that really opened that door to the next chapter? I would have to say, um, you know, I first played for people. I mean, I was a typical high school kid, and I wasn't good at sports. And, of course, in the Midwest, if you weren't good at sports, you really weren't, you know, part of the upper echelon of the of the social of the social ladder in high school. You know, it wasn't a bad experience, but, I, you know, not much was happening. And then I wrote a couple of songs, and I sang them to my, to my uh, English class. And all of a sudden, everybody paid attention. And, I mean, God bless those, those people that were there, that you know, the teacher, the English teacher, and... And the students, the, the classmates, because they gave me a lot of support. And from that, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Immediately, it was it. The first time I played for people. I mean, God bless the English teacher. Why was she letting me sing a song in English class? And, you know, but she did. And, you know, that was it. Isn't that amazing? As, as a teacher, she could see, you know, kids need to express themselves in different ways. And that was your discovery right there in that moment changed your life. Yeah, it was and of course, the same, you know, that all males would say, and then just having females pay attention to you, you know, I mean, they were probably just listening to the music. I'm sure they weren't like thinking, oh, what a hot guy. They were just like, oh, I really like this Did song. This song is great. It touches me. Do you remember what that but, song was? Uh, yeah, it was uh, called White Stallion and Sing to Me. So uh-huh. Sing to Me wasn't much, but White Stallion kind of became a local hit in the sort of Western high school. Well, who doesn't want to hear so, White Stallion? White that's Stallion. Right. Yeah, that's right. It could have been, right. instead of going uh, with the Scorchers, you went, went, went uh, well, you could have gone White, White Stallion. <laughs> I, I'm a geek in this way, Jason. Uh, give me the uh, uh, the genesis of, of picking Scorchers. Was it, it Because it's just a freaking cool right. band name. You nailed it. I think we did. It was me and Jack Emerson, who was... I don't know how deep we want to get here, but Jack is the first person I, I got all day. When I'm, <laughs> that sounds kind of scary though. Yeah, no. We got all day to hear the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Turn up the heat. <laughs> yeah, I mean Jack was a college student at Bandy, and but he also wanted to get into the music business, and he put out a couple records. He was a DJ at uh, WRVU yeah. when RVU was really a small station, and no one was playing original music on it even there. But Jack, I met him really early at Springwater at a show and I said, you know, I want to have this, I want to make a band that's like like American Roots music, but with a modern punk rock edge. And so far to that point, whenever I explained that to people, I got laughed at in Nashville. But Jack immediately said, I'm in, yeah. What can I do to help? And before he'd even heard a note, 
of me singing or anything. He said, I'll help you do this. I can play a little bass. And so three days later, he got us a, jo- a gig open for R.E.M., uh, you know, got the gig book at King Trails. The, uh, the, the REM, right? Yeah. The REM. Yeah, they were playing. They were friends of his. They sleep on his floor and stuff when they came to town. Yeah, and then he got a job for us opening for Carl Perkins a, f- a week or so after that. So those were like three weeks away, and we didn't have a band. We didn't have any songs. We had nothing but an idea that this Jason guy might be cool. <laughs> That's all Jack had <laughs> to run on. Sure. He never even heard me sing, but. You know, in that three weeks that we put together the band, and then once we got the band sorted together and learned some songs, we said, oh, it was like an afterthought. We have to have a name for the band. So we sat there at his, at his, at his little apartment there in West in Westmead and opened up the, the dictionary. And I said, I want it Jason and the something because I'm tired of changing bands, members, and then having to change the band name and stuff. I want Jason and the something so there's some stability. So then we thought, well... We're from Nashville. It's such a cool, legendary city. It brings up a certain evocative images in people's minds. So let's put Nashville in there. And then we got stuck. And for like an hour, we couldn't think of the right word. We thought of Jason and the Searchers, Jason and the and the uh, Screamers, Jason and the Scooters. It was all S words for some reason. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> And, but finally, he, was, he just—he he said it, and I said it at the same time. I think we were looking at the dictionary and said, that's it, Scorchers. We both said it at the same time. That was it. Jason and the Nashville Scorchers. Cool name. It is a great, cool name. Warner Hodges on guitar, Jeff Johnson on bass, and the late, fantastic Perry Bags on drums. Right. Um, I want to play what I think is one of the most rocking songs you guys put out with White Lies. Jason, um, just blistering. You go from zero to 600 mile an hour instantly. Talk about your relationship. Warner Hodges has been on this show. Um, Talk about how you and Warner formed. You guys were a Jagger Richards uh, personalities, back and forth, songwriting, aggressive, uh, is what made the band. And the thump of Jeff and Perry on the drums really added to it. How How did that become the lineup? Well, the first band didn't have any of those guys in it. We did th- those shows I talked about. It also we opened for a band called The Wrong Band in Cantrell's at Cantrell's as well. Uh, their big song was "You Have a Right to Be Wrong." <laughs> that was their that was their local it. hit. That's it. <laughs> but after the, you know, we knew you know the band sort of dissolved. And but Jeff, I ran into him at a party. Jeff Johnson, and he said, "Man, I saw your show opening for REM." And I, I kind of want to help you. I hear the band's kind of dissolving, so I want to help you with this. And Jeff took me under his wing. I mean, he was an 
experienced guy. He was only, I think, 20 years old at the time, but he had a lot of recording experience. He was known as one of the first real national rock and rollers, real a real rock and roller, guitar player primarily. But he said, I'm going to help you with this. So we did keep the drummer from the first outfit. Uh, his name was Barry Feltz. The problem was Barry Feltz hated Jeff. I mean, I mean, vehemently hated <laughs> Jeff. But I said, man, just stick with us, Barry. I think it's going to be great. Just, it's going to be okay. I think, I think this Jeff's going to help us a lot. So then Jeff started talking about guitar players for us. And uh, we tried a few people. Preston Rumbaugh, for one, he was a national guy who was playing in London with the Shaken Pyramids, who had a, a, a rockabilly brief moment in, in London, made records and were on the radio and stuff. He was playing bass with them. He said, I really can't quit the Shaken Pyramids, but I'll jam with you guys and see how it goes. And if it works, I'll quit the Shaken Pyramids. So Barry Feltz, me and, and Jeff and, and Preston, and Preston was like really close. He's like, I think I want to do this, but no, I'm going to pass, fellas. And later in life, of course, he always said he regretted that. But So then what do we do next? Um, a week later, I ran into Warner at Cantrell's. And he said the same thing Jeff said. I saw you. He, he saw us with Carl Perkins. I said, man, I really want to help with this. And I'm an old buddy of Jeff's. So, you know, I'd heard of Warner Hodges. Everybody had, you know, in Nashville. I'm, you know, and I told Warner, you know, okay, I've heard of you. And he said, yeah, I know everybody in Nashville says I'm an asshole, but I'm really a nice guy. <laughs> so that was one of the first things he said to me. Yeah. Um, disclaimer. That was his disclaimer, right? Right off the bat, the first thing. And I said, well, you know, if everybody in Nashville is talking about you, then you got to be doing something right. So I said, let's try this. Let's do it. Because I heard so much about his talent. Um, that night, Barry saw me and Warner talking. And the only person he hated on earth more than Jeff Johnson was, was Warner Hodge. Oh, good. oh goody. Sorry, Barry. <laughs> said, I'm not going to do this under any circumstances. Yeah. I'm not. And I said, oh, no, Barry, we got a show book. Just try the show. Try this one show. It was in Murfreesboro, KO Jams. Just do the one show, Barry. So, so we did the show. We got through a rehearsal without killing each other, and it was a small miracle. They really did all hate each other. Jeff Perry and or Jeff and Barry Feltz and Warner. We did the show, and it really rocked. I mean, it was smoking. This little place in Murfreesboro, a bunch of Murfreesboro college kids, and a few people had kind of heard of the band and stuff. And, you know, Warner came off and said, as loud as God, he goes, that's the best shit I've ever played on. <laughs> and Barry said, Warner, that's the worst shit I've ever played oh, on. No, man. And I thought they were going to get in a fight. I had to stand between them. I thought they were going to get in a fight right there in front of everybody in the room. So obviously, Barry, <laughs> that was it. He said, I quit. I can't do this. This is ridiculous. This is awful. That's what the words he said. So he quit. So there we were again. You know, what do we do? Um, Warner then said, man, I got this buddy of mine I played with in umpteen bands, went to high school with him. He's a, you know, uh, you know, neighbor of mine in West Nashville. His name's Perry Bags. And I don't know if he will do it, but I know he could do it. So he said, let's bring him in and jam. Perry, of course, didn't have drums. He didn't have really anything. He didn't have a car. So Warner... You know, lined up a little beat up drum kit. Sure. Warner himself was a drummer. Warner was a drummer, yeah, yeah, at the time. I think so. He brought a drum kit, picked up Perry, brought him down to the place in my little shack in West Nashville. 
And Perry, it's true, he showed up with no drumsticks. He didn't have drumsticks. So we took lobbying shears and cut off some tree branches. <laughs> That's the audition. And then we tore into a Carl Perkins song, Gone, 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 12 bar shuffle. But, you know, it starts out, that must be my girl, yours don't look like that. Shuffle, shuffle, doom, shuffle, that kind of thing. But the guys hit it, when I hit that, Perry hit four, four, like, boom, da, da, boom, da, da. And Warner was playing eight notes. Jeff was playing this Johnny Ramon or Joy, uh, Didi Ramon kind of bass line. And that, that minute, we all knew it. We all just said, this is it. Just rocked out like crazy. Spent the rest of the night just rocking these old country songs. And that was it. That was the band. That's what did it. That's what, that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's the story. That's, that's called rock and roll. Yeah. That's beautiful. So it, it's it's an audio gig. Jason's not wearing hair, headphones, so he's like, what in the hell is going on right now? Rapid fire questions is where we've entered now, and it's never rapid fire. But uh, <laughs> well, the first thing that comes to mind uh, will work well. Jason Ringerberg on the second cup of Joe. And John. Jason, you've been here forever. Uh, what's a good restaurant? We talk Nashville. We like to uh, folks all over. We've, as we've discovered all over the country. Listen, uh, folks come to town. What's a good place to eat? Where do you like? Uh, Sitar Indian restaurant. I, I basically asked my wife to go steady with me there. Love really? me yeah. some sitar. Yeah. Burned it out in the late nineties. Really, really good. Like every Saturday night, the uh, chicken masala. Ooh, yeah, still is, there. I yeah. Mean, how many? Fifty years now, something like that. Not, not, not many. I mean, right? right? I mean, you look back. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them have come and gone. So yeah. that uh, and Arnold's just left. So. How long have you been married? Uh, twenty five years. Let's yeah. lift her up. Just did our twenty fifth year. That's yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Is that 1.0? I'm sorry. 1.0? First one? No, second. Second marriage okay, for me. Yes. First for her. So. Okay, good. Yeah. He likes. I'm a musician. We, we <laughs> got to have one at least. got to have one actually got somewhere. You got to have, have, have an apprenticeship, don't you? Yeah, yeah. there is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, 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 my wife is often asking, you know, because I had been married before, and they, when we first were uh, engaged, they said, does it bother you that he was that he'd been married. And she said, no, he's trained. <laughs> so, right, right. so that was good. All right, dead or alive, if you could have two or three dinner guests, who would you want to break bread with? Uh, I'll go with two, Bob Dylan and Abraham Lincoln. Nice. That'd be good. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. What would you say to Abe? What would be a uh, conversation there? Oh, wow. Um, I think... Was George McClellan really as as boring and and hard to get along with as he looks like he was in the history books? <laughs> <laughs> You're a fan of history. It comes through in your songs. We're going to talk about Jason's uh, newest, uh, latest CD album, uh, Rhinestone, coming out. What's in your CD player now or your Apple? How you listen to music? What are you listening to? Uh, I just listen to... Um, uh, a guy named Brad Williams from Little Rock, Arkansas. He covered "Pray for Me, Mama." I'm a gypsy now. Sure, and Scorcher he did it. I, I swear it's a better version than I do. It's really good. <laughs> it's an old old score for song. Yeah, it is. Oh my goodness! Um, if you could give your 18 year old self advice, what would it be? Uh, um, I would say, don't be so intense about everything and kind of enjoy the ride more. 
because that's all you're going to get anyway, <laughs> more than likely. We're, we're like, it's a hundred percent. We've done 30 some shows and 100% of that answer is I'd relax. Yeah. Right. But you can't at that time. At that that's time, the oxymoron is you can't yeah, because yeah, you wouldn't really be can't. where you, yeah, gotta you gotta be something. driven. You gotta, yeah. you can't just sit back, right? You gotta go get it. Yeah. Maybe a little more, just 10% more, 10% <laughs> less drive and 10% more. Well, I've got young, you have fun. Your kid, we try to tell our kids that and they're like, yeah, right. Dad. Yeah, thanks. Right. Yeah. Right. Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> it's name, only a lesson age can learn to teach. Yeah. Name uh, three influential people in your life. Uh, number one is my mother. Yeah, she was an amazing saint of a woman, incredibly charismatic, incredibly empathetic with other people and selfish. And she could actually, she could dance going backwards, sort of like a reverse moonwalk, and sing and whistle at the same time. Why was it she your drummer? So mom, yeah, number one, we didn't. Uh, as a musician, it's, it's got to be Bob Dylan, of course. Um, and then, sort of as a life coach, would be Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, name something in your youth that you got away with, or you think you got away with. Well, <laughs> without sounding, I'm not you know phoning for a compliment here, but I mean, just being a musician, all of the, all, all friends since. From the start, I think I fooled a lot of people into thinking I'm actually pretty good because <laughs> as a musician, I'm actually not. <laughs> I've been able to fool a lot of people. Well, what, what, if, you, if you say you didn't have the talent, you didn't have the drive, what would you be doing now? What do you think your profession would be from 25 to 58? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was really interested in outdoor things, so I probably would have gone. And I was thinking of it until music bit me, uh, forestry, soil conservationist, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So farmer Jason is the other side of Jason Ringenberg. Uh, I've seen you do it at our church. Uh, Jason will perform for kids, and it's a tremendous show. It's a very uplifting gig. How did uh, how did that character or that side of you come out? Well, me and Susie, we started a family. I had a daughter for my first marriage. Uh, but when me and Susie started our family, it was just amazing watching the girls listen to music. They, they would listen to an artist all day, one song, the same song, all day. Mm. And so I was, whoa. <laughs> you know, uh, hey, this, these kids are on to something here. Uh, so I just started singing songs for my kids and writing songs for my kids, knowing that it worked. Did a record for fun. The record took off. And all of a sudden I was doing, you know, 200 shows a year and had PBS connections and an Emmy Award and all kinds of fun stuff. And it became my most successful thing I've done, it's commercially anyway. It's good. Joe and John have come to the fork in the road. So, Jason, a fork in the road. Uh, your next adventure, um, maybe something after the Scorchers broke up and you said, what do I do now? Uh, you've had a couple solo records out. I tell you, well, let's, let's play, uh, I want to play uh, Keep That Promise. It's one of my favorite uh, off of Rhinestone, uh, the new album from Jason Ringerberg.
Rhinestoned. Uh, how that al- album came together. The songs are different. Talks about with uh, uh, my highway songs. The other one, one of my favorites off of there. What was the uh, the outline of your songs to go into that record? Well, like all every artist on the planet, COVID was like, okay, you can't play live, so you record. <laughs> and that was. I had some songs left over from the Stand Tall period, uh, which came out in eighteen. That was the record I wrote when I was uh, artist in residence at Sequoia National Park. But I had some more songs from that record, from that from that experience. So I started just working on what I had left over, and then I started writing new songs for it. It was really fun and exciting because I was able to just focus on music. And you know, I'm a I'm a family guy, so when I'm not you know playing music, I'm working uh, jobs, you know, like everybody else. So all of a sudden, all that's gone, and I'm just like, wow, all I do is play music every day. <laughs> that's it. So I got to really, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that a lot, I, uh, that, that experience. It seems like a lot of musicians have that have that COVID record or, the, or that time to reflect and, and kind of uh, twist and turn into some areas that they wouldn't. But uh, look, I saw you at the exit end. You, you absolutely put on an electric show. The, the, the energy and, and the connection with the crowd is palpable. It's, it's really, you're amazing. So where did you find that? Were you always kind of an extrovert like that, that you just felt like, hey, these people are paying money. I'm going to rock them out. Uh, or is it something that you kind of grew into? Because I think it's fascinating to go out there with so much confidence and have so much fun. Well, yeah, I think I'm professionally bipolar. Because <laughs> um, offstage, that no, I'm, I'm not like that at all. Um, I'm not like that at all. And But something happens when I hit the stage. I'm not sure why, but it always did. From the first time I played music, it was that way. That's just the reality of it. An adrenaline switch hits, and I love doing it. I'm, I'm addicted to playing live. I love I love live performance. It's just so fun, so cool. JasonRingenberg.com. Uh, if you haven't bought Rhinestone or checked out any of the other collection, uh, it's available on there. And uh, let's, uh, you know, I'm going to touch on it. Let's review Scorcher's history with it just a bit. Warner was on this show. I asked him directly, would you play again with Jason? And he said, I'd love to. Uh, Warner, on that conversation, went through a massive apologetic rant on his uh, drinking and how it destroyed his life, how it destroyed the band, and how that question of what would you tell your 18-year-old self, uh, he went right to it. He said, you know, don't abuse yourself because I did, and it took away 20 years of my life uh, that I can't get back. Uh, you guys had mass, uh, just massive firepower together. Now, Perry Bags has passed, but uh, do you feel at this time in your life, uh, you know, what's your creative punch that um, those are old friends, old memories, old, you guys have played all over the world. You're one of those bands too, that you guys would do triple the crowds overseas. Jason and the Scorchers internationally were lit up. The Georgia Satellites were part of that time. Um, they loved that American rock and roll from that era of the eighties. Um, how do you see that? Would you, would you consider putting that together with a Scorcher show? Well, I mean, it's a little soon to even think about it because we did officially break up last, you know, September. <laughs> so it, it'd be a little fun. Yeah, we're getting back together. Still, right? still, uh, still a little raw. Yeah, okay. The, show, right. the sure. shortest breakup ever. But, um, 
I think first starters, I would like to say that Jeff and Warner often do say, you know, express their regrets for the partying and drinking that went on in the 80s. But I have to say that those guys were such professionals. And they, were, they were so infused with that Nashville musician ethic that when you step on stage, you deliver. It doesn't matter if you're sick. It doesn't matter if there's four people there. It doesn't matter if the sound system's blown up. You give it your best. And they always did that. I, I never I never saw them slough off a show, even if they would maybe be drinking or doing drugs or whatever. It was never that kind of thing. Also, to their credit, they never did anything serious around me. And I, I always appreciated that out of respect for me, I guess. Um, so I let them off the hook. Almost all rock and roll bands have substance abuse problems. Almost all of them do. I don't think I know any of them where all the guys were straight. And I wasn't even a teetotaler when I joined, when we started the Scorchers, but I saw pretty quick that I needed to kind of keep it together. Just one guy in the band had to be that guy. No, that guy was me. <laughs> so was that, was that the cross you bear? Is that you, because you've been able to handle it. Not yeah. everybody can handle it. Yeah, it was never uh, hard for me. And I also immediately saw that, wow, especially in the early 80s, as you guys know, I mean, it was a decadent scene. It was sure. as e easily as decadent as the 60s was in the music scene. Sure. And these time, this time, though, the drugs and stuff was a lot harder. I mean, it was wicked stuff. And I was straight, <laughs> you know, in these rooms full of people, you know, all the way from, from music clubs to the corporate record company boardrooms, I was straight in rooms full of people that weren't. That was a tremendous advantage. Man, that was, that put me a step ahead of the game. I always, I always knew that. Is it uh, a quick rewind on that Nashville in the eighties? Um, it was bands like yourself, major label of uh, folks started showing up on music row. You know, Nashville was a hot town with the scorchers. Uh, I think uh, with the questionnaires, Royal Court of China. I'm going to leave out 16 other thousand yeah, bands them, right. uh, that were in there. But, uh, you know, the music business rolled in those days. This is pre-internet. Uh, they rolled around hot Athens, Georgia was one of the right. premium towns prior to that. And Nashville was emerging as the others. So it was a great time and a great period. How do you uh, how do you approach music now with Rhinestone and moving forward from here? It's so different. Anyone is their own. And that's all gone. All those made, you know, music right. road doesn't matter. You can make your own stuff now. Well, how are you going to uh, what do you see as you're uh, getting your music out there now to people? How are you going to do it? Well, I'm not exactly sure what my next step is. I'm formulating some plans, but not enough to really talk about what it is next. The last two solo records were really good. They were good records. My previous solo records, I'm not so sure about. They they weren't as strong, but the last two are really good. So I'm not exactly sure what's next for me. You gotta wear shades. So Jason, we like to end with um, a day brightener. Um, this is Nashville centric. Uh, there's a lot that this town has gone through, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, some people are down on it. They felt like they've lost, you know, we've lost our soul and so forth. Others are saying this growth and uh, vibrancy is is what you need to do. Um, give us a reason why the future is bright for mm. you and for the Nashville area. That's a great question. Because you're right. Nashville, though, has always been sort of a punching bag for songwriters. 
This, you know, if you're a twangy songwriter, eventually you got to write an anti-Nashville song. They all, they all did, you know, going back to Whalen, they all did. Sure. Um, but I think to answer your question, what's most exciting about Nashville is not how many condominiums we're building, but that still it's the place where musicians are going to create their craft and to hone their craft. It's the number one place where musicians are going above London or Los Angeles or Austin or, or New York City or Atlanta or Athens. And that's something to be proud of, and I think that's going to give our city hope because musicians, you know, we're needed. We need to screw things up, and we need to make things more interesting, and we need to make things more unpredictable. And I think that as long as musicians are in Nashville, it'll have that unpredictable edge. JasonRingenberg.com. If you missed Rhinestoned, the latest album, I bought it on album. It's coming to my house. I ordered it. So oh, were you, you, you the recent one? You were, the, was you were that guy? Yeah, that's me. The, the, the vinyl? Sign that and let your pets lick it and <laughs> send it to me. Uh, I, I've heard the album. Actually, uh, Scott Willis, the singer of Government Cheese, who has turned into this amazing photographer. photographer. He did the shots. He, yeah. he did the shots for Jason's album. Oh, he's, no kidding. Yeah, he's just a tremendous. He's, that's he's an his, amazing photographer. He is, his, he's, his stuff, he's been in Rolling Stone. He's been all over the country, and he yeah. shot Jason's uh uh, album and many other pictures. He's tremendous. Uh, we did probably two thousand pictures. He's great, that, and then two days. Yeah, and and there's so many great ones. Usually you get two or three shots. You know yeah. how it is, Joe. That sure. You know if you get three shots in a band shoot or an artist shoot, you're called a success. But we got tons of them. So uh, I, I got one loaded question, um, but we've had other musicians on, uh, and they have lauded Joe's uh, drumming prowess. Um, loaded question, but but he's he's a pretty damn good drummer, right? Oh, there's no question. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. he's not he's not just a session play. He's not. No, no he, he can bring it, right? Oh yeah, he can bring the. Goods. He can keep tempo. Oh yeah, okay. That's one of the reasons government cheese did so great. I mean, it was you have to have a great drummer to have a great rock band. Quest, unquestionably, you have to have it. I'm sorry, sorry, to, embarrass, don't sorry to embarrass you. That's but going in our press kit. I will lift that. Jason Ringerberg. Next time you have a broadcaster on, ask him how great Without I was Joe, on Channel 2. If you could just do that. You like, would just, all uh, suck. What are they going to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, Joe's, Joe, you, <laughs> you know, suck Joe, it up. Joe's a renaissance man. Let's face it. Oh, my God. He's what, done everything. What doesn't he do? You know, I'm expecting him to pull out a scalpel and do surgery. And, you know. <laughs> and he's taking it all. I know? just play a doctor on TV. That's okay. Don't worry about that part. Sorry, um, dude. I just had to ask. I well, mean, that's this, very is, kind. this is one of your peers. No, that's somebody. Yeah, yeah. That, that by is. the way, when we first started this, when we looked at a short list of people to have on, uh, this is this is cool to have you yeah. on. So thank oh, you, man. Thank my, you. My thank pleasure. Thank you for your time. Government Jesus, you know, they were a pioneering rock band in their own way and in their own right. And, and they stayed together. I mean, 40, I mean, through the that's an amazing thick and thin. Yeah. Same original For the most part. Yeah. 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 Same, dudes. Same um, dudes. Yeah, it was a big day. Jason and I have been going back and forth on the emails for about three months now. So it was, it was a big deal to get you here. And I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. You can't keep a good man down. If you read the reviews of Jason's new uh, album, they all start with that or weave it in somewhere. So uh, check out Rhinestoned if you haven't. And um, there's just more great greatness ahead of for you and i sure hope to share this uh, same stage with you again 
That would sure Wouldn't be fun. Be There's something. no doubt it will happen. No That'd doubt. be great. Yeah. If you need a drummer, he actually has drumsticks and a kit. He would come yeah. self-sufficient. You right? like, you unlike, you know, one of your other drummers. You dump that all-time great Steve <laughs> Eby and you come over here to Joe Elvis land. I'll be glad to, I'll be glad to I love Steve. Uh, Jason, thank you for uh, being a guest here today on the Second Cup of Joe. My pleasure, fellas. And John! It's the Second Cup of Joe. And John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John. <laughs>